Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews 11 today, if you'd like to open your Bibles. And what I want to do is give you a little bit of an update, tell you about my journey, and then we'll look at Hebrews 11 also in the context of that and see what the Lord has. Um, <clears throat> it's been a couple years, as Tony mentioned, two years ago I left New Jersey for Austria to serve at the Calvary Chapel Conference Center they have in, in Milstadt there. Um, Prior to that, I had worked for the state of New Jersey for a number of years, and it was very secure, very comfortable, but um, a few years back, I had gotten, I was able to get British citizenship through my mother, who's British and American, and for years, I had this British passport, and I would take it, I had it in my top desk drawer, I would take it out, and I would look at it and open the pages, and wow, isn't this cool, and all that, and I would think about what the Lord could do with that, but I never really acted on it. And I always was thinking, what, Lord, what do you want to do with this? And um, through a series of events, the Lord kind of opened some doors and he made a way for me to go to Austria. So I did. And when I went there, the Lord had given me a verse out of Genesis pertaining to Abraham, come to a place that I will show you. So in going to Austria, I knew that that wasn't going to be my permanent destination, but the Lord was going to open another door through that. So I went there, and it was perfect timing. There, it was a season where they had a need, and I was able to step in and fill that need. While I was there, it seemed like I kept running into Pastor Dave Sylvester, who is the pastor of the church and the Bible college in York. And October of 2015, he invited me to come and just take a little break, take a vacation and check things out. So I did. And while I was there, it seemed like the Lord was setting things up. They were having problems in the UK of having people um, be able to stay just because of the visa situation. And Americans that were there, could, a lot of them could no longer stay because the, they really clamped down on the visas and that sort of thing. I had a British passport, so I could pretty much just show up and, you know, they, I'm a citizen, so... I wouldn't have any problems staying there long term, so that's what I did. And I arrived in York February 1st of this past year. And some of the things that I've been doing, I've been involved in the worship rotation, uh, leading worship, some teaching for the evening service. They have a um, prison mini ministry at the Humber Prison, which is about uh, close to 45 minutes from York. So we, what we do is we go in and we do worship, we do a message from the gospel. We pray with the prisoners, and it's just a wonderful time where we're able to minister into their lives. So I've, I've been involved in that. And it's interesting, a lot of the prisoners who are in the Humber prison, they're from Hull, which is the town that we're outreaching into. Um, the city of York, it's a university town, so there's 22,000 university students that come from 63 different countries. So the church in York, there's pretty much three components. There's just the the regular people from the city of York that come. There's also the Bible college students who are there for about two-thirds of the year. And then there are these university students from places like China, Hong Kong, Singapore. And they come to the church, and the Lord does the work in their lives. And then they go back to China and Hong Kong and Singapore and wherever they're from. So it's a neat opportunity to do, actually do mission work for that church, for Calvary Chapel York, where they're reaching into these other countries just because it happens to be a university town. So that's Calvary Chapel York and some of my involvement there. I'm also 
uh, on the staff of the Bible College. I just taught through the Gospel of John this past semester. Uh, I'm going to be teaching through the Book of Acts this semester coming up. And there's also the um, aspect of being involved in the lives of the students. Sometimes we take them on outreaches and outings and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of good stuff going on over there. And then there's the whole Bible study, which it's a door that the Lord has opened up. And I just want to give you, I'll give you a few statistics about the city of Hull. Um, About 10 years ago, it was ranked the worst place to live in the UK. And the way that they developed that ranking was they looked at statistics like the economy, unemployment, um, teenage pregnancy, alcoholism, drug use, things like that, housing and whatever. And so Hull came at the bottom of the list. It's the worst place to live in the UK. Um, not everybody would agree with that. It's not, a, it's not a terrible place. It has a lot of good things going for it. The population is around 250,000 people. I mentioned it's about an hour from York. It's on the Humber River, which is about 20 miles inland from the North Sea. Um, it was founded in the 12th century, so it's got a bit of a history to it. And it was originally named the Kingstown upon Hull by King Edward I in 1299. And then it became, no, first it was the Kingstown, then it became known as Kingston upon Hull, which is its official name, but now it's simply known as um, Hull for the most part. Um, as I mentioned, it was the home of the ab- abolitionist William Wilberforce. Hudson Taylor actually studied medicine in Hull in preparation for uh, missionary work in China. That's interesting. Um, It was heavily damaged in World War II. And it's been um, an important fishing and whaling center. Its identity really for much of the 20th century and even before that was wrapped up in commercial fishing. And what happened with the fishing industry, uh, there were quotas with the European Union, especially in the 1970s with the European Economic Community. And the, in the UK, a lot of the fishing that they used to do was up in the, around the area of Iceland. And originally, you could fish within 12 miles of the Icelandic border. But over the years, that's gradually been pushed out to first 50 miles and then 200 miles with the European economic community. So what that did is it pretty much killed the fishing industry in Hull. And that's what the whole economy was based on at least in the 1970s. So there's, since then, there's been high unemployment. There's been, you know, multiple generations of people who are on benefits and a lot of people just sitting at home, drinking all day, and then going out into the streets and that sort of thing. So there's all different kinds of social problems. Um, it was, at one point, the third busiest port in the United Kingdom. And ever since then, it's been struggling to reinvent itself and uh, <clears throat> concerning church attendance in the UK, church attendance is about 11%. In Hull, it's about 1%. So 250,000 people, 1% of those go to church. What's that, 2,500, something like that? So it's a, it's, a, um, it's a tough town. It's a hard scrabble sort of place. Um, the people are very sincere for good or for bad. So, you know, you can take that as 
Well, but I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of great people over there. One of the um, there's also a lot of um, with the European Union. There's a lot of people coming in from other places. So there's large Eastern European populations. There's Muslims that are moving in. So it's becoming an international city in a lot of ways. Um, one thing that Hull has going for it, besides Jesus, is uh, it received the city of the UK City of Culture designation. Um, for the year 2017. What that means is the UK will identify an economically depressed city that has some sort of cultural heritage to it, something that is perceived of value. And um, they give it the City of Culture Award. They pump a lot of money in so they can give the city a, a makeover, a facelift, that sort of thing. And uh, they actually did it with Liverpool a few years back. Liverpool has had all kinds of problems. And uh, they pumped a lot of money into Liverpool. They gave it a facelift. And it really, in some ways, it brought the city back in some positive ways. That's what they're trying to do with the city of Hull right now. They're re repaving. You saw the pictures. They're repaving the city center. They're trying to make it bright. The, the new motto for Hull right now is change is happening. And they're looking at it in terms of economic change that it's almost like a magic bullet and things are finally going to turn around and all that. Uh, change is happening. But I believe that change is happening in Hull, but I believe that it's because it's something that the Spirit of God is doing. And what, I, what I'd like to do is uh, share a little bit about my Hull story and how the Lord led me there. Um, I had mentioned previously that for several years, Calvary Chapel of York has been praying about doing some sort of a Bible study, church plant, or whatever in the city of Hull. And they've gone over there and they've just, they've prayed and walked the streets and all that sort of thing. And um, when the Lord put it, things together for me to move to the UK, I was um, at home last Christmas and this is, my mother's actually connected with this story a little bit. It's quite fascinating. Um, my mother comes from Fleetwood in Lancashire, which is in the northwest of England. And in the 1950s, in the town of Fleetwood, there was the Carr family that lived there. And they gradually, in the 1950s, began one by one to move to New York City. And Bernadine was a good friend of my mother's, and she moved to New York City. And... Um, you know, it was after the war and there weren't a lot of opportunities in England and New York was wide open. So Bernadine invited my mother to come to New York, which she did. 17 years old, she got on a boat and emigrated to New York City. And she stayed with Bernadine for a while there and then moved off uh, on her own and then eventually moved to Philadelphia, met my dad, and the rest is history. But over all these years, she's stayed in touch with Bernadine. They talk on the phone fairly regularly. They write letters and things like that. Bernadine lived in New York City until the 1990s, and it was around that time that she moved back to Fleetwood in England. And she lived in Fleetwood up until maybe five years ago or so. Um, it turns out that her brother, Peter Carr, had years ago moved to the city of Hull. And he was living there and working there. And about five years ago, Bernadine was having trouble keeping up, taking care of the family house in Fleetwood. So Peter said, well, why don't you move over to Hull and be near us? So she did, and Bernadine has lived in Hull these past uh, five years. So last Christmas, I was at home, and I stayed with my mother, and I shared with her how the Lord was opening the door to come 
to move over to York, and um, you know she's excited about that because we had visited York back in the 1980s, I think it was, and um, yeah, so th everything was open to come to York. And then one evening we were watching TV, and she just looked at me and she said, "So you're going to Hull?" And I said, "No, I I'm going to York." And the next night she said the same thing. She said, "So you're going to Hull?" And I said, "No, I'm go I'm going to York." And you know. I'm sure she's thinking of Bernadine in the back of her mind and, and all that. And I think that it was the Lord that was actually um, speaking through her. So what I did, I, you know, I just put that in the back of my mind. And then I go, and then February 1st, I land in York. And um, Pastor Dave and I, you know, he had given me the invitation to come to York. It was a little bit vague as far as what I was going to be doing. I was possibly going to be teaching in the Bible college or just helping out in the ministry over there in general. And so I get to York, and the class that I was going to teach, there weren't enough students to, to run it that semester. I was going to do First and Second Thessalonians in the spring of 2016. That class didn't materialize. I wound up doing sub substitute teaching for um, four of the other classes, actually. So it, that was a blessing in and of itself. But I get to York, and Pastor Dave is there. We do uh, We have a Thursday night men's group that's just starting out and Dave's up there and he's kind of casting the vision for the men's group talking about some of the things that we're going to be doing he's like yeah I want to install a wood burner here and maybe a pizza oven and, and all that and and then he said you know you guys are going to plant the church in Hull because I don't have the time to do it I have too much going on over here and he said that and I just kind of felt the Lord speak to my heart when he said that I didn't immediately say anything to him and then um I think it was maybe a week or two after that, we were having a community dinner at the Bible College in York, and I was sitting there talking with Dave, and we were talking about you know what what my role was going to be, what I was going to be doing, all that sort of thing, and um, I said, well, you know, I can I have pretty good administration skills, I can do that, um, you know, because that, that was a need there. I could do some teaching, whatever. I can help out in the coffee shop, and then Dave looked at me and he said, well, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, well, Dave, do you want to hear my whole story? And his eyes lit up. He got really excited. And I shared that story with him that I just shared with all of you. And it just really seems like the Lord was putting that together. So what I started to do, I just started to take the train over to Hull. To Hull and I would just walk the streets and just begin to pray and just to see what the Lord might want to do. And uh, I gradually began to meet people. This one particular day, I was taking a walk down that promenade, and then I, I wandered over, and I found this building. It's the Victoria Dock Village Hall, and you saw a picture of it. And so I was just standing outside, and all of a sudden, a, a woman comes out, and she says, can I help you? I said, oh, well, I'm just having a look. And so she invited me in to check the place out, and they have four different meeting rooms and all that. And... Um, I asked her, well, do you think we could rent this to do a Bible study possibly? And she said, oh, yeah, that would be great. And um, so I talked with her a little bit, and then I went back to York, and I mentioned it to Dave, and nothing really happened. I think a, a month went by, and we hadn't decided to do anything. And then um, one day I'm over in Hull, and I'm walking in the town center, and I meet this woman, Tracy, who is from Hull, and she's doing evangelism in the town center. 
and you know we got to talking and all that and we actually went out to tea and um, she knew that I was looking to do a Bible study somewhere and she said well you know the place I'm staying at at the time she was staying at this uh, seafarers mission some kind of place like that and she said well you know you might be able to do a Bible study here so she gave me the contact information of the people who run the place and I called them up and I talked to the guy and he's a really nice guy and he said you know what I don't think our place is going to work but you should check out the Victoria Dock Village Hall and it was, this, it was the same place that I, that I had looked at and it seemed like the Lord was opening that up so I went back and I talked with Dave and we decided to go ahead and put you know schedule it and we did so July 20th of this past summer we started a, a Bible study in Hull it's been very slow going it's uh, right now it's predominantly people from York who are coming over with me with the occasional person from Hull passing through but we just really feel like the Lord wants to do something over there in his timing and in his way so there's plowing there's sowing seed and I go over there at least one other day besides the Bible study day and I just walk and pray and the Lord always brings at least one person across my path a lot of homeless people I stop and pray with a lot of homeless people um, there was a woman Julie that I met over there and she was homeless and you know we just had this conversation and I asked if I could pray for her and she said yes that would be wonderful and I started praying for her and she just broke down weeping and just the a human touch and the love of Jesus going forth in a place that a lot of people don't really have the time for that and the Lord consistently has been doing things like like that over there so I don't know what this whole thing is going to look like, but it seems like the Lord is doing something. And we just recently moved the Bible study to um, Friday nights. So it's been a journey of faith, and I want to look at uh, Hebrews, actually, in our, our remaining time. And uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And just the whole idea of faith, I'm sure we've read this chapter many, many times. And um, I think it's always been an inspiration to a lot of us because it tells us that there are things that God wants to do that don't necessarily make sense in the natural world and there's, that there's a power that we're able to tap into as God works through us and we do that as we step out in faith. And I've been thinking about this idea of faith. We have a faith but we have faith also. In other words, we have a set of beliefs. We have this biblically informed life that we, do, that we live, and we have the scriptures, and that's the grid that we run everything through, and we're not going to, it's not like we're going to walk away from that. We're Christians, and that is our identity, and the word of God is the thing that we stand on. So we have, we have our faith. We have a faith, but there's another side where we have faith, where we're actively walking in faith and it's causing us to make decisions and do things in our lives there are very real ways that we walk by faith in the world and James tells us that faith without works is dead not in a, a legalistic sense sometimes you can read that and you can feel condemned like oh I better be doing some works and all that sort of thing but if you do have a genuine faith then that faith is going to be manifested in the way that you live and by its nature it's going to produce actions it's going to cause you to do things and to live 
in the world that expresses the reality of the living God living inside of you that sometimes does things in spite of what the natural world would expect you to do. It will cause you to do things and to make decisions as the Holy Spirit leads that you might not otherwise wake, otherwise make. Um, it's not going to look the same in everyone's life. We all have our individual callings. It doesn't mean, I mean, for me, it involved leaving my job and moving overseas. But that's, I mean, that's just, I'm just one Christian. And everyone who is here today, the Lord is going to lead and direct your life individually as he sees fit. And, but still there's an element of faith that is involved. One of my favorite stories is in the book of Acts. Um, the, the story of Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts 26, Acts 8, chapter 8, 26 to, to 40. And Philip is involved in this um, incredible ministry in Samaria. There's people who are coming to the faith. He's preaching the gospel. And there are signs and things that are following. And the Lord is moving in Philip's ministry. And then all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord speaks to him, and he says, go down to Gaza, which is desert. And he doesn't tell him anything else. He just says, "Go to, leave the revival and go down to the desert. And he hears this word from the Lord, and he obeys in faith. He didn't have a good logical reason to leave the revival that was happening in Samaria. He had this fruitful ministry, but he received a word from the Lord, and he acted on that word. He combined it with faith and that faith produced an action. And as Christians, what we do is we read the Word of God. We read the Bible, and hopefully the Lord is speaking to us as we read His Word. When we hear the Word of the Lord and believe it and combine it with faith, it should produce an action. Um, it's not like we're trying to come up with a, a clever strategy in terms of how we live, but we step by faith into the works that God has prepared for us. It tells us in the Bible that we are his workmanship prepared, uh, we are his work, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared uh, beforehand that we should walk in them. And that is a big part of our Christian life. It's not necessarily just coming to church, you know, every week and that sort of thing. There's this dynamic thing that God wants to do in our lives as we read his word and as he speaks to us in a variety of ways and when we know I know all of us have probably heard the voice of God before and sometimes his voice is prompting us to do something to produce an action and there's something about the stepping out and the completing of that action that is initiated where, where God asks you to do something and it involves faith because it might not makes sense to everyone. Not everyone is going to understand because not everyone else is hearing the word that you're hearing from God. But God is asking you to be obedient to the thing that he's saying to you. Um, Hebrews tells us that a lot of things happen by faith. In this account, we can read through this whole litany of all the different things that happen by faith. And if you think about it, a lot of things in the world happen every day for a lot of different reasons. There, there are projects that come to completion through careful planning, and that's a good thing. There are buildings that get built. People go to school. A lot of events and things happen by their natural course 
in the world. They just happen. But then there are other things that happen by faith. You know, when you open the book of Hebrews, you read this whole this whole hall of faith sort of thing, and you read about another world. And there's this whole thing, you're reading about these things that would not have happened apart from the people of God believing the word of God and stepping in and doing these things at his word. It's a people who believe their God. So, so if you think about faith, it pertains to another kingdom. When we do things by faith, it's because we believe in this other kingdom. And one of my, another one, I have a lot of favorite passages, but one of my favorite passages is the encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus um, in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and he says, Jesus, we know you're a teacher who's come from God because no one can do these signs that you're doing unless God is with him. And the first thing that Jesus says, he, does, he just cuts right to the chase, he says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. And that tells us two things. It tells us that there is, there's an assertion that yes, there is another kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and it is very real. And secondly, it says that you're not going to see that kingdom by your careful observation, by your figuring it out, by your natural eyes. You have to be born again and your eyes have to be open in order to see this other kingdom. And the world that we live in Today, you know, it's the physical world that we live in. There, it's completely based on what you can see with your eyes, what can be empirically determined in a laboratory, you know, the things that make sense. But there's this whole other kingdom that Jesus was talking about. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's almost like there's this whole, whole other parallel kingdom that's happening at the same time that is influencing the physical world that we're living in. And it's another kingdom that the natural man cannot see. The unconverted man cannot see it. That's why when we step out in faith, we look foolish. But then when God comes through, it's a wonderful thing. Um, Daniel tells us, it says that the people who know their God shall be strong and shall carry out great exploits. Um, it doesn't say that the people of God will be strong because they have skills or because they've been working out at the gym and all that, not that those aren't good things necessarily, but the people who know their God will be strong and will carry out great exploits. I just love that. You know, and what is an exploit? I mean, an exploit, it just sounds like something difficult, right? You know, it's hard for us to do exploits in our natural ability. And here Daniel is saying that by virtue of the fact that we know the living God, when we trust in him, he's going to lead us and we're going to step into things that are bigger than us and we're going to see the glory of God manifested because, you know, the Bible tells us that we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power will be of God and not of us. So... Hebrews, um, and now we'll finally get to our, our text. Hebrews, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Now faith, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. 
Now, verse 1 has been abused in its interpretations, as we all know. It's not intended as a means for personal blessing. Um, it doesn't mean that you know God has called us to trust him, and he is going to give us the things that we need and, and that sort of thing. But it was never intended that we could get you know, the most expensive automobile or that we could get whatever we want in this world by using the believe formula. What, what the purpose of this faith is, it's to accomplish God's will on earth, and we're blessed in the midst of that. God knows all the things that his children need. It tells us in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses um, 32, 33, you know, that we're not to worry and God's going to provide all of our needs. But the purpose of this faith that he's talking about is so that the kingdom of God can be manifested, and God, there's this work that God wants to do through our lives. Um, it was J. Oswald Sanders that said that faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. I'll read it again. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. I don't know what God is going to do in Hull ultimately, but I believe that he's opened the door to go there and to be available. And I believe that there's a work that he's going to do, whatever that looks like. I don't know what it is, um, big or small, significant or insignificant. I mean, I don't think anything that God does is insignificant, but it's, you know, there's a vision that happens when you see God's hand moving and it's confirmed in the body of Christ and you see it in his word and you choose to believe in that and it makes the future in a sense present and it makes the invisible visible because I, I am born again, I can see the kingdom of God. Jesus said it to Nicodemus, it applies to all of us. If you are born again, you can see the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God, this other world that exists where God is in control and God is doing things. So, verse 2, it tells us that by faith the elders obtained a good testimony. And part of the good testimony that they obtained, we can see that in the fact that they're first of all listed here favorably, right? Because they believe God and they did these things. There's this divine stamp of approval that's on each one of these persons' ministries that we find in Hebrews 11. Now, not all of them were perfect, and some of them we actually were a little bit surprised that we see some of the names in here because, oh, that, that person did great things, but they also had this kind of um, questionable things where their faith wasn't always perfectly strong, but they're still held up in here. They still have the divine stamp of God's approval on their ministries. They obtained a good testimony before God through their actions. They proved out the word of God and brought it from something of an abstraction to a manifested reality. And that's one of the things that we do by faith. I mean, we look at the scriptures, and in a lot of ways, this is an abstraction because, you know, we read things and we might not understand them. But there are times that we read the word of God and we believe them and, and the thing that's abstract actually becomes this manifested reality when you know we get a word from the Lord and we step out and we actually see the thing come to pass. It becomes manifested. Um, just an example, if you look in the book of Nehemiah, you know, Nehemiah is in 
Persia, and he gets a burden for his people in Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and all that. So the Lord's put this thing into his heart. He goes, and you read through the book, and you see how the Lord prospers his way. And towards the end, you have these Thanksgiving choirs who are actually standing on the walls of Jerusalem that have been rebuilt, giving glory to God. And the thing that they're, they're actually standing on this thing that was just previously, it, it was something that God had put into the heart of Nehemiah. But Nehemiah stepped out and the Lord prospered his way and prospered the building with some warfare in there, of course. And now towards the end of the book, you actually see them physically standing on this thing that has become a manifested reality. So... And the Lord wants to do those things in our lives also. He wants, there's this result of, that becomes a living proof of the faithfulness of God on behalf of those who believe in him. And when we look at the world, faith should be our filter. You know, the, the things, I think the devil wants us to, you know, look at the world and, oh my God, everything's falling apart. You have the whole um, extremely liberal you know, um, passage of different laws and things in the United States that are against Christianity and all that. And it's like the devil wants us to think that everything is falling apart and we sh it's time to hide away somewhere and just, you know, wait for the rapture of the church and all that sort of thing. But God wants us to believe that he's still on the throne and there's a work that he wants to do in these days. The, the Bible tells us, you know, several places, says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? There's nothing that is out of God's control being able to affect and impact. Um, let's look at verse 3 here. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And what we have here, it's an assertion that God is able to create by the word of his mouth. And if you think about this, it tells us that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You also have the gospel of John. Through him, all things were made. Apart from him, nothing was made that was made. And you see this here, and it says that the things which are made are not made from that which is visible. Well, the book of Hebrews was written... 2,000, approximately 2,000 years ago, right, before anyone had any sort of idea con pertaining to atomic structure. Today we know that this podium and this microphone and all the things that we see, there's an atomic structure that we can't see with the naked eye. There's this whole kind of like infinitesimally, infinitesimally small world that's happening, and you have a... a um, I'm not the smartest science guy here, so bear with me, but you have a, a neutron and you have like protons spinning around and, and you have this whole thing that's happening. So the world was framed by things that you can't see with the naked eye. So anyone says that there's no science in the Bible and, and that sort of thing, well, 2,000 years ago, the author of Hebrews knew that the worlds were made by things which aren't seen by the human eye. Um, verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, 
and through it he through it being dead he still speaks so we have the accounts in Genesis 4 of Cain and Abel it tells us that um, Abel brought an offering to the Lord of the firstborn of his flocks and the fat whereas Cain brought an offering from the ground. Hebrews here tells us that the primary difference between the two sacrifices was that Abel's sacrifice involved faith. Abel came before God not with his own righteousness, but by faith bringing a substitutionary sacrifice. And Cain came and presented the fruit of the labor of his own hands, the, the produce of the field. And it appears that his offering wasn't combined with faith. And that's the issue. Abel's righteousness by faith exposed the unrighteousness of Cain, so he murdered his brother. Um, I think the picture here is that God is looking for faith, and Abel's sacrifice in a substitutionary offering was accepted before the Lord. And in our New Testament context today, obviously we know that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. And our righteousness is by putting our faith in him rather than the picture of Cain in the world. You know, I'm okay in my, you know, the works of my hands are going to make me acceptable. And I'm okay because of that. And all of a sudden, you as a Christian, you're saying, no, it's not my righteousness. It's because of a substitutionary sacrifice and because of our faith in Jesus and it's a testimony to the world that their offering isn't righteous and it's not accepted before the Lord that is a self-righteousness and attempt to be right before God so there's this animosity that comes and Jesus said in John's gospel that the world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil and that's the sort of thing that we see in the world today when we you know, share the message of the gospel and there's a strong kickback from the world because it, what it's saying and the thing that they're forced to come to grips with is that there's something in me that really isn't okay and I need something outside of me who's Jesus so we'll look of, probably have to wrap up here shortly but we'll look at a, a few more of these verse 5 um, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And that account is in Genesis 5, 21 through 24. Enoch uh, is seen as a type for the rapture of the church, how the church is walking with God, but the rapture is going to come and we're going to be taken. Um, let's look at verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the fundamental thing that God is looking for in our lives is faith. He's looking for people who believe that he is who he says he is and that he is able to show himself strong on behalf of those who are looking for him. And what does it say in Chronicles? The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone whose heart is perfect toward him that he can be strong on behalf of. And that's what the Lord wants to do in each one of our lives. He wants to be strong 
on our behalf. It's, Christianity is not about being strong and doing things in and of ourselves, but it's about being yielded and having the living God who is living in us. The Bible tells us that Christ within is our hope of glory. And there's a work that he wants to do in us that is not of ourselves so that the glory wouldn't be of us so that people would look and say, wow, that was the Lord. That was the Lord. And that's what we see in all these people's lives. We don't have to, time to go through the rest of Hebrews um, there, but God is looking for faith and he'll honor that. And, you know, there's all these, you, know, you can look at Noah and the life that he did. He... Um, Noah's faith influenced his life and set him on a long-term path. He started working on this ark because he had a word from the Lord. Every day he went out and built because he had a word from the Lord that a flood was coming. And, you know, it was, it was a long-term thing. It took a long time to build that ark. In the same way, we have a word from the Lord that there's a judgment that's coming on this world. And we know that Jesus Christ has made a way for us. And then we can look at Abraham, who had this very good gig going on in Ur the Chaldees. It was a pretty happening place, you know, pagan worship center. It was a, a fairly prof, a fairly prosperous city in the ancient Near East. But he received a word from the Lord to go out to another place. And he believed the Lord and in faith acted on it. Hebrews uh, 4.2 tells us that the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it, in speaking of the um, people of God wandering in the wilderness. So I guess in wrapping things up, you only have your one life to live. I mean, New Jersey's a great place. I, I, this, I love this place. And it's the place that God's given us to manifest his kingdom here on earth. It's the place that he's called us to live and move and have our being in a sense and to um, allow the love of Jesus to flow out of our lives and to impact people. And we only have this one life and not everybody has the same walk we each have our own unique calling, but where we are at, God calls us to live by faith. And there's a work that he wants to do in and through each one of our lives. And, you know, I think I'm probably an exception to the rule concerning God calling someone out of the place and doing something, you know, different. And that's just the path that I'm on. And I'm extremely blessed to be able to do that. But um, to be here in this place... God still wants everyone to walk by faith. Even if you go to a job every day and that sort of thing, go to school, whatever it is, there are going to be times where the Holy Spirit is going to speak to your heart and he's going to tell you, well, you should go over, you know, you're walking in the mall, you should go over and talk to that person and, and uh, tell them about the love of Jesus. Or, or if there's some kind of way the Lord, you know, oftentimes gives, he opens up doors of utterance where we have an opportunity to share the gospel. And I think that there's a sensitivity that we need to have to his spirit where he will give us those times. And that's part of walking by faith is that, okay, well, I may look like a fool, but I'm going to open my mouth here and see what comes out. And 
you'd be surprised when a couple minutes later you walk away from that conversation and it's like, oh my goodness, that was the Lord. And I almost held back. And I mean, I've, I've been on both sides of that um, in my life. So none of us are going to escape having blessed opportunities to trust in the Lord. We're going to find ourselves in situations and all different kinds of things. But the Lord is with us, and he just wants us to trust in him. Um, I'll just close with Hebrews 13, verses 14 and 15. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name.